Hey, welcome to Stop the Presses on this telltale date, especially here in the state of Texas, November 22nd. What does that date ring a bell about, huh? Well, there's small wonder there. Of course, this is the 58th anniversary, 58, of the JFK incident on Elm Street. That's what we're going to call it, the incident on Elm Street, November 22nd, 1963. And I am here with a longtime research partner, my guest today, Brian David Anderson, as announced on a RBN post, a press release I put up last night as a teaser. That's going to be up for a while here at republicbroadcasting.org in order to have something people can go to. It doesn't give away the store. It just kind of gives you a hint that we're going to talk about a completely different theory about what happened to JFK on that fateful day, that pivotal day. And it does give a web address about a documentary we're going to talk about that I helped our guest today research and put together and an associated book. But without further ado, Brian David Anderson, originally from the Dallas area, a former Dallas Times-Herald photographer. He's got deep roots in this thing. He lives in California now, and he's an alternative health guy. How you doing, Brian? Oh, very good. Great, great. Um, Yes, it's, it's an interesting topic, and piece by piece, inch by inch, we're going to dissect this thing and present, ladies and gentlemen, a completely different paradigm. In fact, a paradigm shift on the incident on Elm Street 58 years ago today. Uh, in fact, um, JFK would have, uh, he would have been uh, allegedly, di- he would have allegedly died about an hour ago, uh, central time. Anyway, Brian, uh, you can sort of retrace um, the steps of how you and I got together and how we got into this in the first place. We'll kind of lay the context of how we how we met, how we got on the same page on this, the challenge you posed to me, and then for the rest of the show, we're going to show some important uh, video footage and still frames, largely if not completely, in the second half of the show after the bottom of the hour. That way the first half can be... Um, laying out the context and laying out the direction of this and covering as many of the key bullet points as we can. Uh, There's a very uh, relatively fresh item, though, that we're going to show a video about, among other things, in the second half of the show today. And anyway, Brian, I recall being at a conference in Texas, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and handed me a a, a copy of a book called My God, I'm Hit, an earlier edition of it, and it was still in the shrink wrap, so I didn't open it right away. Uh, I get all the way back to South Texas, and I open it, and I start reading it, and I'm just going, huh what? What is this thing saying? And at first I was not exactly in denial, but I was just intrigued. Uh, the way I was raised by my mom, uh, the original conspiracy theorist, some call her, um, I didn't just reject it or dismiss it out of hand, but I was a little bewildered and quite intrigued by it, and I began to go through it, and I remember I finally gave you a call, and I was waffling on it, you know, running hot and cold, not exactly knowing what to believe, but being very intrigued by the thesis of it, which, again, uh, results in something being, uh, something having happened that day of a completely different nature than what the... um, few television networks who existed at that time, the growing mass media cartel, 
that you know it wasn't like people had cell phones with uh, cameras everywhere. They had a very tight lock on the information for this thing, so they were able to give us one scenario when the reality was a completely different scenario. But Brian, why don't you take it from there? Uh, kind of recollect how we got together, and I'll I'll kind of give you some counterpoint, and we'll go we'll go along that path. Okay, first one technical issue is that I don't see myself on the Skype. Is that something different? Because uh, I don't see me on the Skype. Um, I, I don't believe that matters. I'm going to ask the engineer, Ron Avery. We are vi video simulcasting this at livestream.com forward slash Ron Avery forward slash stop the presses. Uh, Ron, does everything look okay? He can be seen very well right next to you. That's what I'm seeing. Okay. Yeah. I'm seeing it with that. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, yeah, so uh, it was now 58 years ago today. Uh, I was then in the, the uh, fifth grade, and uh, so 58 years ago now, I was listening to a radio program. It, uh, I went to a Catholic school, and then well, we heard during recess that the president had been shot, and so we were now listening to the local radio station. And they were describing and going on and on and on and on. So that's what I was doing 58 years ago. And it turns out then that I had all sorts of, of uh, connections to the incident uh, on that day. And it's just some very, very weird things. Just the simple thing is that here now they were doing the radio program. And they already came out on the radio program and said they now uh, cornered the suspect at the uh, theater and they already had his name, Lee Harvey Oswald, and that he lived on West Fifth Street in Irving. Well, that was all very interesting because that's where I was living in Irving, Texas, uh, going to St. Luke's School. And we lived, my house, uh, family house was on West Fifth Street, <laughs> but it was on a different type of, it was still a mile away from where he was, but that still, that was a connection. Immediately within an hour here, the, the assassin lives on our street supposedly. And so then it went from there. There was lots of weird, weird connections over the years. Uh, then uh, in the 19, I, and I totally stayed away from the whole thing um, uh, as far as investigating that, that type of thing. They came out with the um, Warren Commission book and I, I was sitting there. I was in uh, high school when they came out with the Warren Commission report and I was sitting there with my mother, with my father and my brother and I just sort of thumbed through it, and I got, kind of held it in my hand, and I said, this is a bunch of lies, and, you know, it's like half-truths or something like that. I just just had a really bad feeling about it, and they went all explosive. They all, oh, no, no, it can't be, you know. So then it was now the late uh, 1990s, uh, and I met a person by the name of Linda Goodman, and she was an astrologer, and she had published all the books, but before that time, she was a very well-known Hollywood reporter. And so she had all of these insights with a various lot of people. And we started talking about them this November 22nd. And uh, she goes, well, you know, he really didn't die. He was shot in the shoulder. And I went, Linda, you're crazy. What do you mean? You know? And uh, so that we talked about it a little bit. And then I put that in my, you know, back of my head. It always stayed there. Then it was about 2005, I thought, okay, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to make some sort of, you know, some uh, investigations here. I thought maybe a lot of the stuff that had happened to me before, you know, could we put it in some sort of book form or at least a magazine article? 
And that's when I came across the FBI report where uh, Roy Kellerman made the report that he said that when he heard the first shot fired is that he turned around and he saw the president with his left hand going to his right shoulder. And then now I remember what Linda Goodman had said is that he was shot in the shoulder. And here Kellerman, in his statement to the FBI, two days after everything had happened, before the Warren Commission, here he's saying this. So my life was never the same after that. And so then I uh, took the deep dive in, did the book, did the various things, and then the book got in your hands, and you con contacted me. And uh, so then we, uh, it was now, what, 2007 that, uh, or 2008 that we were actually on the RBN program here. <laughs> it's hard to believe that that's now been 13 years ago. And uh, we started talking there a little bit. And finally, at the end of the program, I think I had you so intrigued. I said, Mark, I said, just come join me and, and you know, prove it to yourself. And this, you know, come join me in this investigation. And uh, I said that on the air. And uh, you didn't give a reply. But then very soon afterwards, you gave me a private reply. And since that time, the collaboration has been just really, I think, fabulous. I mean, there's just so many things that you have done, Mark, that I've done. With, that it's the mixture of the two. And um, uh, I feel that we have come as close as it is to the reality that occurred uh, uh, 58 years ago, uh, and 58 years and two hours ago. <laughs> so uh, that uh, that's kind of like how the, the background of this program and how Mark and I came together uh, was my experiences, but then also now uh, the deep dive that we've taken and we've spent money. We have put a lot of time. We have put, you know, a lot of investigators, they just, you know, investigate through the internet and they make, you know, off the cuff type situations. And we have gotten down and we've talked with people. We have talked with people who are extremely important, interviewed them, and uh, also bought materials, did various types of things. Uh, I think one of the key pivotal things that occurred, uh, we will, we'll go back to this, but you went to the school book depository and you saw the picture of JFK's jacket, which was uh, Warren Commission uh, Exhibit 303. And then I called up to the National Archives wanting to buy that, and I, but I wanted the latest edition. And the lady kept going, so well, you don't, you really, you really want the Warren Commission picture. That's what you really, really want, you know. I said, oh well, because I really wanted the latest one. And she kept going and going on, and I, I would, and I ended up buying like fifteen hundred dollars worth of pictures. They were really super high quality. That's why, because they came with a disc, and super high quality. So I put my money where my mouth was. And but then when I hung up from that uh, um, call. I went, what was going on there? She kept guiding me, guiding me. What she finally, she said, I tell you what, uh, and I bought all these pictures. She said, I'll throw the, the, the uh, FBI photograph in for a hundred bucks. And I said, okay, yeah. But then I hung up and I went, oh my God, you know, what, what happened there? So the very first thing when that disc hit, I put that jacket on, blew it up. And then uh, that, that just, again, was just changed everything. So you found the jacket, I followed up. There's just been so many instances where we've done something and then we collaborate and it's just been a really, really, uh, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure to work with you over this last 13 years, Mark. Yeah, uh, it, it's involved a lot of adventures, ladies and gentlemen, uh, everything from 
taking our evidence to the Dallas DA of about 2010 or 11 at the time, Craig Watkins, because he was a reformer wanting to solve cold cases. We read about that. So we, we went there and um, we had a compilation of evidence, the substance, the substance of which we'll get into as we go along in today's show. But we went there and we talked, Brian and I talked to a detective uh, with the Dallas County and his first name was Rick. I don't know, I don't remember his last name, but I have never seen in my life a look of incredulity like I saw on his face when he understood what we were saying about JFK, which will become clear as we talk. Um, I also interviewed Jim Lavelle, who was the famous cop in the Stetson hat um, with the Dallas County Sheriff's that, that was a uh, uh, connected to Oswald through handcuffs at the famous time of the so-called shooting of him by Ruby, another suspicious, largely fake event, I might add. And uh, also uh, Dr. Robert McClellan, uh, among the last of the uh, Parkland doctors from that time uh, to pass away. There's one younger one, uh, um, Kenneth Sawyers, who's still alive. He was really young at that time. He's still kicking. At any rate, I also interviewed Sawyers as well as McClellan. And uh, what Brian and I did, ladies and gentlemen, is we we knew what they thought and believed, and we, we wanted to nail it down to make sure they, that we that everyone understood their their point of view clearly. But we also wanted to bring what we knew to them and to see where there was corroboration. And what we found was Mark, either, if, I can just, uh, if I can just intercede here, how we got to the doctors and why McClellan was open and why we got all this access to them is because we moved from the West Fifth Street house and we went over to Glen Valley in Irving. And two doors down was Charles Baxter. And Baxter yeah. was the one who worked on, he was the lead surgeon, and he cut down the bullet wound and uh, put the trach in. And it was Dr. McClellan who held the forceps. And he was looking from the backside into JFK. So is, that the, was the introduction, is that uh, how I got to McLean uh, was McClellan is because uh, of my connections to Baxter. Right, who lived near you, right, at that time. Exactly. So we, didn't, we talked to people, ladies and gentlemen, who were in pivotal places physically. As Brian just mentioned, Dr. McClellan was behind the body in Trauma Room 1 at Parkland Hospital after the incident on Elm Street. Uh, at the depository area and saw that the back of the head of that body, that person had been blown out. So that was an exit wound. And Kenneth Sawyers, the youngest one, probably the only surviving Parkland doctor from that time, saw the entrance wound in the um, upper forehead area, uh, smaller, of course. And Malcolm Perry, at first, before they tried to muzzle him and get him to change his mind, also agreed, I believe, Brian, the lead surgeon, Malcolm Perry, also agreed that this was entrance and the other was exit. And the powers that be did not want that. But so so we have a situation building where we we have different evidence that we're well, taking. Also to get back to, I knew about Baxter also because he was the one that did the trade. And he and Perry were working together. Yes. And uh, uh, Baxter plainly said it. He said this was a bullet entry wound. 
And the, then the FBI showed up at his door uh, about a year later, and they had this altered Zapruder film, and they played it like 500 times trying to persuade him that that was not a bullet entry wound. <laughs> but he held his ground. He's even all, you know, all the way through. He said, no, this was a bullet entry wound. Right. And um, why there was also a wound here. Now, now, we have to unravel the seeming com complexities that are building in listeners' minds right now, live and on the archive. At any rate, so the... the We'll show some still frames and a, probably a very important video again at the second half, but probably one of the most important things to get into. And um, I'm uh, assuming that we can go uh, uh, advertising free until the bottom of the hour. I'll wait for an answer on that. Um, at any rate, the car is rolling down the street. Uh, Kennedy arrives in Dallas via Love Field. He had been in Fort Worth. And, of course, prior to that, he had been in San Antonio and Houston. And it's, it's interesting to note, and it's instrumental to note, that the 100X black presidential limo that is so famous on the streets of Dallas on that uh, pivotal day is not the car that was used mo most or all of the time prior to Dallas. They used a white car, and that, we contend, is because they had to make sure some modifications were in place on the black car including an all-important secret compartment, the, the, the significance of which will, will manifest itself soon. But this car is rolling down the, um, the street there. Uh, it, it takes that, that sharp turn onto Elm Street off of Houston Street. It had come down from Maine. And after the first shot is fired, Kellerman hears JFK say what, Brian? Uh, so the first shot was fired, and he heard the, the president say, my God, I'm hit. And that is right. now the title of everything, my God, I'm hit. And that's the title of the documentary that Brian, mostly Brian, but me, produced the video documentary as well as the associated book, My God, I'm Hit, a Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes approach to the Kennedy incident on Elm Street. So I had seen this jacket, again, like you said, that what set this off, this picture in the sixth floor museum the former school book depository in 2009 and i'm looking at the shoulder and i'm thinking what is that depression and that discoloration there and that's when you spent the money later soon after on those photos at the college park maryland national archives and so at any rate we'll be right back with more after that Are you sick of... Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. 
Shiroji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shiroji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. After taking Extendivite for about six months, I've noticed improvement on the numbness of my hands and wrists from the carpal tunnel syndrome. I will continue to buy product. This formula is very powerful. I am feeling much better. My heart rate and blood pressure is stabilized. My lower edema has reduced and lower leg pain due to blood clots has disappeared. This product has relieved what appears to be an angina problem. Pain in the chest after climbing stairs and short on breath. I'm quite happy about it. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. there. Are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-and lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-and lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure! And the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. And welcome to the next segment here on Stop the Presses, November 22, 2021. My guest, Brian David Anderson, he's an SEN, I'm an SON, no direct relation, but we've had the research relationship we've been talking about going back to 0708, researching the Kennedy incident on Elm Street, the street theater that it turned out to be, not at all what we're told. We're going to outline what that is, why that is, how that is. And we've talked a little bit about Brian's connections in Dallas. Another thing, Brian, that's worth mentioning, the second half of the show, we'll get into much more nitty-gritty details, is that you worked with none other than Bob Jackson at the Dallas Times-Herald, and you, in fact, were, for quite a while, a Dallas uh, photojournalist. And so Bob Jackson, of course, is well-known for that famous photo I mentioned a few minutes ago of the Stetson Stetson hat-clad James Lavelle uh, handcuffed to... Lee Harvey Oswald, the most famous of those photos in the basement there, where Ruby apparently allegedly plugged Oswald. Uh, Bob Jackson took that photo, and you worked and were trained by Bob Jackson. And um, I don't remember, Brian, real quickly, if you bounced much of your ideas of what evidently happened to JFK off of Bob Jackson. Did you 
bounce much of that off of him. I was a summer intern for two summers, uh, 1972, 1973. And so, I, I, as I said, I stayed away from the whole thing. I didn't really discuss it that much. I, I stayed away from the thing until it wasn't until after 2003, 2004 that, well, I want to put everything to kind of together, at least make a magazine article out of it or something like that. But I do want to mention also, too, is that uh, all of this is talked in detail at My God, I'm Hit. That's the what we talked about before. So if you go over to the website, M-Y-G-O-D-H-I-T.com, My God, I am Hit.com, there's a video at the top of myself, and then there's also right below that, as Mark and I were on, uh, a, a, a podcast and it gives you a lot of the details and that type of thing. At the bottom of it also is uh, an article I did on A.J. Phillips, and he guarded the home, the home of Bruce Payne, and absolutely one of the most craziest things, uh, stories you can hear, that he ended up guarding the home, and I have a whole article about that. So, uh, yeah, again, uh, is that uh, uh, the whole thing about is that when they made that turn on to Elm Street, uh, what Mark and I feel that we've done is we zeroed in on three of the most closest first eyewitnesses. When the first shot fired, that's what we then really zeroed in on as those first three witnesses. And so I'll let you take it from there, Mark. Yeah, what, what I meant was uh, if you if you had bounced that off of Bob Jackson down the oh, road. Oh, yeah, Bob Jackson, no, not, not, as I said, no, because I, I really wasn't into any of that. Oddly enough, so it was my second summer internship. We got a phone call, uh, and we I thought it was the city desk that was calling in. So we need somebody at 411 Elm Street. Well, I didn't know what 411 Elm Street meant. So I just rushed over to 411 Elm Street, and there was a, a motion picture company that was doing a tour, tour, and this was now 1973, so there was still no um, museum or anything else of the sort. And I ended up where I took pictures all inside. I actually had a telephoto lens going out of the sixth floor window. I did it all in color. They handed me color uh, photograph. You know, that I just was hired just as a hired gun and uh, took color uh, uh, slides and then just gave them the film. They gave me uh, $300 cash. And uh, that's my one thing about um, now the school book depository. <laughs> is oh, okay. I actually had a telephone lens shooting out of the sixth floor museum window. Where, where the Carcano, uh, yeah. but, in re- but in reality, a German Mauser uh, took right. the one shot at his shoulder. Right. Yeah, well, I, again, I meant when you saw Bob Jackson back like 2010, whether, whether he had. Oh, no, no, it's not. No. Oh, okay, anyway, yes. Uh, so the first shot is fired. The, the limo's rolling down the street uh, approximately 10, if not less, miles an hour. And Kennedy uh, reaches for his shoulder. Kellerman, the Secret Service agent in the front passenger seat, he, hears him yell, my God, I'm hit. And that's, um, then we so have June. That is 12 o'clock position. Yeah, he's the 12 o'clock position. And then um, Gene Hill and Mary Mormon are in the, uh, nine o'clock position. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And the six o'clock position would have been, um, uh, June DeShong, who kept the diary. No, she, she would be at the, uh, three o'clock or yeah, three o'clock, the, o'clock, position. o'clock position. And Bennett is at the six o'clock position. So we have literally coverage on all three. And then Mary, uh, Mary Mormon. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we have this, uh, literally, if you, 
then talk to those eyewitnesses on the first, and you or you look at their their testimony, the first shot fired, what happened, and what did those people say of those closest eyewitnesses, and that's when you get now a whole different type of uh, scenario. That's when everything goes sideways as far as the official narrative. Uh, so you, we have ben, Bennett. Uh, and this is, again, uh, we have discovered this through uh, a Secret Service paper uh, that uh, Mark had discovered and uh, that existed. I bought it, and you went through it, and we found this great exhibit. And we're probably going to... Yeah, hold, hold that. No, we got... Hold that as the clip note. This is the last set of ads for the show, and yeah. uh, I'll pick that up. That's a very important point. We'll be right back. A simple smile, such a tonic eye How they drown in incomplete capacity Strangers on their own When the fear it calls How we drown in stylistic audacity Charge the common ground I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network Real news, real talk, real people Because you can handle the truth Einstein once said, future medicine will be the medicine of frequencies. What did he know? Imagine you hear ocean waves caressing a beach or a favorite song from the past or the trickle of the babbling brook. All of these are sound frequencies that positively affect us. Terahertz is a soothing, healing frequency that has been proven to resonate at the same frequency as healthy cells. It penetrates the body and stimulates new healthy cell growth. Want to diminish muscle aches, joint pains, and experience a greater sense of well-being? Tired of spending money on short-term remedies that never seem to work? Soothing, healing, relaxing terahertz frequency is now available and as handy as flipping a switch. Terahertz technology is changing the course of what we were taught about how to maintain our health and well-being. To learn more about this amazing breakthrough, go to naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. 
Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on Long-Term Food Storage in the rotating sponsors' banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. Welcome to the second half of Stop Depressions here today on the significant date, November 22nd, 2021. I'm talking to Brian David Anderson, the main author and producer of the documentary, My God, I'm Hit, and an associated book, My God, I'm Hit, a Sherlock Holmes approach to the incident on Elm Street, the JFK incident, that is, and that's My God, I'm Hit, I am, with no apostrophe, mygodimhit.com to actually see the documentary and read some literature and various postings and learn all about it. My God, I'm hit. I am no apostrophe.com. At any rate, uh, Brian, uh, we were getting into the scenario on Elm Street. Um, I'm going to ask the engineer to post photo number two, which shows uh, the JFK limo at some distance with him reaching for his throat. Um, let's see if we can get that still frame up while I'm talking. Uh, at any rate, the um, so the car is going down the street. We have Kellerman at 12 o'clock, the Secret Service agent, in the front passenger seat. June Deshong, a local woman, at the 3 o'clock position. A Secret Service agent, Glenn Bennett, in the uh, in the uh, car that Johnson was in. The the uh, the Queen Mary right behind JFK's um, um, uh, limo, and then Gene Hill, Mary Mormon at the 9 o'clock position. That's the one right there. And so we're looking at this photo. Now, if we can blow that up as much as possible, enlarge that as much as, as we're able to today. But this is where uh, the, the powers that be really did their meddling. JFK was actually shot in the shoulder. No one... Correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. No one actually that day saw JFK reach for his throat. Exactly. And June Deshong wrote in her diary, and she was right there. His arm slipped off the side of the car. That'd be his right arm. And he slumped in his seat. He did not reach for his throat. But lo and behold, we have this frame that we're looking at here of JFK inexplicably doing what no one saw him do at that moment. After the first shot was fired, he was hit in the shoulder and said, my God, I'm hit. But the powers that be tell us that that bullet went through his trachea area and did the magic winding, winding through the, through the air, what, which bullets don't do and ended up hitting Connolly, uh, at that time, the Texas governor or future treasury secretary of the U.S. ended up hitting him in multiple places and wounding him. So what the, what the powers that be wanted to create here was a fake scenario of a bullet going through Kennedy's neck area through through where the larynx is and being that magic bullet and hitting Connolly. But what actually happened here, and I, I don't know if we can enlarge this picture a little bit more, um, was 
we know from very, very reliable sources that this uh, Zapruder film was doctored at Hawkeye Works in Rochester, New York, a CIA lab there. And the original film was seen by one of the best photo experts of that time, Dino, Dino Brugioni. And that, that's sufficient if we can't get any larger on that photo. But Dino Brugioni and also Doug Horn of the Assassinations Review Board, who I met at a conference in Virginia in September of 2014, he also corroborated not only were frames taken out of the Z film, Zapruder film, but there was actual animation and other um, alterations put in there. He's the one that re uh, revealed Hawkeye Works to me because he interviewed Dino Brugioni, the naval slash CIA photo expert before I did. Uh, he did it in person. I talked to Dino a little while before he passed away over the phone. But what we're looking at here, ladies and gentlemen, is, is arms that were drawn onto JFK's image. It's an animation to make it look like a bullet had taken that path when, in fact, he was only shot in the shoulder. And Glenn Bennett, and I'll, now I'll pick up where we left off, Glenn Bennett was the Secret Service agent, normally a pencil pusher. He was put out in the field that day, so he had a little bit different mindset. He's just sitting in the Queen Mary right behind JFK, and he said, I saw my boss get shot four inches below the right shoulder. You know, the top of your shoulder is right here, where your shoulder, uh, where your, uh, the top of your uh, body is, you know, that the, the actual top of your shoulder. And that was an exact quote in a compilation of Secret Service agent uh, testimony that was put together and released through the Johnson Museum, the LBJ Museum in Austin. I learned about it, Brian, you recall, when Robert Cairo, a researcher, was on TV in 2012. I was covering Bilderberg, and he referred to this Secret Service agent's uh, testimony book being put together. I told you, you got a hold of it, and with our astonishment, we read where Glenn Bennett corroborated June Deshawn, Gene Hill, and Mary Mormon and Kellerman. None of them contradicted each other, in other words. And so we have this round-the-clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock set of witnesses, only seeing Kennedy get shot in the shoulder, only slumping in his seat, not reaching for his throat like the doctor film showed. So he was only shot in the shoulder, so then... Right there, we have a big lie, and they're trying to create a, a false scenario for this so-called magic bullet in order to concoct a larger mythology that they would then foist upon the people, as you indicated, by repeating the, the doctored and altered Z film, by, by repeatedly showing that. It debuted in America, I, I believe, via Geraldo Rivero in the early 70s in terms of the general public. But before that, they showed it to Dr. Baxter. They showed it to Dan Rather very early on um, once it was doctored. And they would use it as a propaganda weapon to drum into people's heads that this incident on that day was assassination by rifle fire. But now I'll come clean on what we're talking about here. This day, uh, 58 years ago, was not assassination by rifle fire. In fact, it was not assassination at all. This is the false scenario, ladies and gentlemen. JFK lived to tell another, he lived another day. In fact, he lived significantly longer. He did not die that day. Our evidence, to the best of our ability, points that direction. 
It's beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the standard that's sought and agreed upon for our courts of law. Beyond a reasonable doubt, according to the best evidence, and we gathered it very carefully in this eyewitness fashion and other uh, attendant evidence, um, he did not die that day through rifle fire or any other means, and it was a staged fake shooting, and you call it, Brian, fake assassination by abdication. Yeah, abdication by fake assassination. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and again, we have now the 6, 3, and 12 o'clock uh, positions, and they all cooperate one another. And then now you put this with the jacket photo uh, from the FBI, uh, uh, their evidence, uh, Warren Commission Exhibit 303. And what's very interesting now is that we've been doing this, as I said, in 2007, and uh then we found the Bennett material, what, about 2014, but that's been about five years now. And this, this is, uh, there's been a, you know, a involvement here. But now when we present this information, this whole segment that we've just now presented is if you were to go up to any other type of JFK investigators, you go up on the other forums, that type of thing, which you've done, and they basically just shut down. They have no reply. There's nothing you can really say to try to counter what these three, especially the three, uh, I, I feel the critical eyewitnesses because they're on his side of the car, are Bennett, uh, Dishong, and Kellerman. And uh, when you present that ev- evidence to a lot of these, quote, J- JFK investigators, they just go blank. They don't try to do any type of, of uh counter to this whatsoever, nobody's even attempted, nevertheless done something to counter this big block of evidence, and then you put the uh, FBI Exhibit 303, Warren Commission 303 with it, with the jacket, you've got a real compelling type of evidence. I think this would even uh, you know, stand up in court uh, as far as what happened on that first shot that first shot went into his shoulder. Right, and it was done with a German Mauser because even though you can't trust the mass media cartel, now we're, we're going to get into quick bullet points. Uh, you can't trust the mass media cartel, but things were more tightly controlled then. And they right away they said three shots were fired on the streets of Dallas. They had no way of knowing there were three shots fired that soon. No way. I cannot be more emphatic. And then they did admit because one thing you can be sure of is usually the first report, if there's anything true at all, the first report is going to be the closest to the truth. And the first reports where they found a German Mauser, a vastly more accurate rifle than the Italian Meinlicher Carcano, that the that all of a sudden just popped out of nowhere when they wanted to get uh, Dallas County Sheriff at that time, Roger Craig. They wanted him and Seymour Wiseman and some of his associates out of the way. Because they had seen things and they had uh, some insights that the powers that be did not want published or to be disseminated. And that included the fact that they found that Mauser. And so that would have been the rifle, in your estimation, and I agree, that would have been used only to give JFK a cautionary poke in the shoulder. Nothing fatal. The Again, they... they they concocted the reaching for the throat thing by, by doctoring the film with a uh, animation-like uh, alteration. So then, of course, people are going to say, oh, but what about the gaping uh, head wound that, that we all saw, you know, 
much to our horror, that was the fatal shot, correct? Well, let me just share a little something. I went to the McAllen, Texas Library about 2010 or 11, and that was when we were looking at the fact that Time Life magazine, Life magazine, the big photographic uh, magazine in those days, they were very heavily into photographs. They had two photos of the same moment in time, frame 313, and one was a spray of blood, and one was just like a, like a head blob with no spray. And they were the exact same photos, the exact same instant in, instant in time in the same edition of, of a Life magazine. But what's interesting, and we can, yeah, there's, there's a photo, um, there's a photo of that, uh, right? Go up. It could be that one. That's fine. That, that's 313. Um, yeah, that, there's 313. Now that, um, uh, we'll ask to move that, move that square over to the left a little more. I don't know what that is. Uh, that that black, black square, black square needs to go off to the left because that's very important. The black yeah, square move, needs to go to the left. Let's move that black square a little further. Um, yeah, uh, all the way over to the left. To the left. Yeah, we don't. No, we don't want that. We want. Yeah, we want frame three thirteen. Yeah, but that black blank square. We need to get that out of the way. Um, very important. What? What? This thing here. Yes, yes. That, yes. That to the left. Yeah, with the, yeah. There we go. Now, now we're only going to look at frame three thirteen. Now, there's three versions of it here, right next to each other. Um, this one, um, see what we're seeing here is the the Warren Commission told us that the um, the bullet entered roughly the back of his head from the direction of the school book depository and blew open his skull. But this is one of the photos of frame 313, among others, the versions of it, where you can clearly see that at the point of so-called impact, his head remained perfectly intact. The part that the Warren Commission said was hit, the back of the head from the book depository, is and remained intact. All, and the, as, all the segments, all frames, it remains intact. Right. Now, let's go to the very next version of 313 that's um, um, right next to that. That one right there. Now, here it's very important. You'll see, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how they tried, they tried scrubbing it out, they tried soaking it out, no matter how many frames they removed, no matter what they tried doing, they could not get rid of the fact that you can see an upward, slightly angular, but upward streak going from Kennedy and then up in the air. And that's because what Brian and I determined beyond a reasonable doubt was that this was not a fatal head wound, but rather the um, detonation of an incendiary device that evidently uh, Jackie, who was apparently in on this, set off or helped set off in some way. It could have been remote controlled, and maybe she only had to hold it in position. But... It went off and it shot straight in the air or almost straight in the air. Now, there, that means there's no bullet path coming from the grassy knoll from right to left. There's no bullet path coming from the depository from left to right. The, the back of his head is intact, completely contradicting the official story. Uh, you might say, well, it looks like they got the front of his head. However, uh, we have this upward streak here. And when Dino Brugioni saw the Z film in Washington the weekend after the Friday, November 22nd so-called assassination. He saw it before the film went to Hawkeye Works 
and this is according to Doug Horn of the Assassinations Review Board, before it went to Hawkeye Works, the um, reported CIA lab at, at Eastman Kodak in Rochester, New York, and he saw, so therefore, the completely undoctored C-film and said that, uh, and, and, he, and there was no, he had, he had not heard much about what happened to JFK. He didn't have any predispositions or preconceptions in his mind. He, he did not see the doctored film because it hadn't been doctored yet. So he was uncorrupted in his uh, assessment of what he saw. And he said to me over the phone, and he told Doug Horn of the, of the review board, that a pinkish, orangish streak went straight up, and it really caught his eye that nothing went from left to right or from right to left. And even Oliver Stone, Brian, and you can take it from there, when he made the JFK movie starring Kevin Costner, they used a pyrotechnics Hollywood device to simulate a fatal head wound, with what would look like a fatal head wound. But what we're saying in My God, I'm Hit is that they actually used the device, uh, in other words, life imitated art, on the streets that day, November 22nd, 1963, what people thought was a fatal head wound was a non-fatal, um, probably loud and probably very dramatic looking, but a non-fatal incendiary device. And again, you can still see the streak going up at a slight angle. No matter how much they doctored it, they couldn't get that out of there. And, and a very uh, good point here is that now the uh, the splatter, if he had been hidden from the back, had the bullet come in from the to the back of the head, Jackie should have been absolutely soaked in blood, and she wasn't. And also, then you can see that little bright white little thing. That's uh, Nell Conley. Uh, you see the, the midpoint there. She should have been soaked. Also, should there should have been a absolute one hundred percent soak of both of those, and also the uh, Governor Connolly also, they weren't. All the, every all of this debris went directly up in the air. Nell Connolly said it felt like then that she was ringed on by a buckshot. And uh, Roy Kellerman said that there was this sawdust material that fell on his jacket. And then the, the driver of the Secret Service car behind, he said that also this debris fell on, on him. So this was a, an explosion, a pyrotechnics device, went straight up into the air and then rained down upon all the uh, people that were in the car. That's not a bullet. That's a, that's a pyrotechnics explosion. Uh, correct. And there is that rather strange YouTube video that was cryptically put up by someone that we later suspected to be now the late Gary Mack, the former head of the Sixth Floor Museum which is the former school depository building at, at, uh, on Elm Street there in Dallas. And we suspected that he may have put that up there, but that video showed what looked like JFK sitting back up after he had initially slumped in his seat, never reached for his throat, and sitting back up. Now, it was a little bit ambiguous. You couldn't get a real good view, but it was a sufficient view to give a very strong impression that he sat back up. A at any rate, uh, what happened then, and again, if you go to my God, I'm hit with I am being just the letters I am, no apostrophe, my God, I'm hit dot com. Uh, you can find the entire uh, one hour, 45 minute documentary on this to get all, all the details filled in. If you have any trouble, get a hold of me through the station or email me at truthhound2 at yahoo.com and uh, I'll get you the right links. But at any rate, 
So, Ryan, uh, let's let's now go to the next frame 313 uh, with a slightly different color hue, this one. Now, look at this one, Brian. Um, going to the, the next one, not that one, the other one, the other way. Yeah. This one, this one here. This one, yeah. somebody did, did a little artist uh, touch-up, and they actually took some orange of some kind, and they traced where the line goes up. I found this last night. Hmm. And they did it, obviously, to accent that upwards upward path of the projectile and mm -hmm. in this one you can see even more clearly in addition to that that jfk's head for all intents and purposes appears to have remained intact all along yeah and that there's an explosion he, by the side of his head right it's a separate event that's the thing it's a separate event um the, the glow next to his head does not prove by any stretch that that is blood or tissue coming out of his head. It's and simply also, too, is that Jackie was sitting to his left, and Jackie is left-handed, so she could then, that was a thing where she could hold some sort of pyrotechnics device on JFK's right shoulder. Yes. Now, I know a lot of people would say, well, how could Jackie, sweet Jackie Pierce, the Driven Snow, do this? Well, if you read up on Jackie, she was not pure as the Driven Snow. She was a complicated figure. Her and JFK were estranged most of the time. She would take long trips away from him prior to this day in Dallas. Uh, Clint Hill, the only living person who was in that car that day, once these events unfolded and it, and it rode to uh, Parkland Hospital uh, quite a bit slower than you would think it would have gone, about 70 miles an hour, he's the only living person. Um, that was in that car that day, he was her guard, and he would accompany her on long overseas trips. Uh, it's very likely she had affairs. JFK, of course, up to a certain point had affairs. We believe he had an epiphany and became a much more dedicated leader of the American Republic and began to pull away from the powers that be, and that's why they gave him this deal with the devil. And that's what you've always said, Brian. There's so many ways we could go with this, but you don't believe that they would, at least in a knee-jerk fashion, kill one of their own elite members, and they would at least give a fellow elite member a chance to live uh, if he agreed to a bargain or a, some sort of deal with the devil. And that's what we believe happened, that Jackie was enlisted to help uh, Jack uh, abdicate but go out looking like he was assassinated in order to be a martyr and be that kind of hero that martyrs can be. And that gives the nation, almost like the moon landing, that gives them something they can wrap their brain around. Well, it's sad, it's tragic, they took our king, but at least he was a martyr and he went out, he was going to take us out of Vietnam, he was our hero in some respects. And so it gave the powers that be the perfect cover uh, for the application. Maybe you'd want to comment there. Again, now, after this occurred, now the whole thing would be there has to be a body switch. And that uh, limousine was large enough to do that. Then again, we I don't know if we're going to have how much time to go into details, but the My God, I'm Hit uh, website goes into details of, and it's, I think, very, very compelling evidence that, yes, there was a body switch. Yes, yes, and the that that comes around, ladies and gentlemen. We're running out of time, maybe in three minutes. It's it's hard to do this one in an hour, but it comes around to the secret compartment I mentioned. 
why we think that the final alterations were made to the 100X presidential limo, and that's why they used a different white Lincoln car on the prior visits to Houston, San Antonio, and uh, Fort Worth prior to bringing out the black 100X that we're all familiar with on November 22nd in Dallas. And this secret compartment was used to take someone else, a lookalike, generally of Kennedy, and to keep him in the trunk and to uh, exert some wounds on him that would be the right kind of wounds uh, for the the story that was being peddled upon us, and that the real JFK went into the secret compartment. They took the lookalike out of this compartment. That's who went in trauma room one at Parkland Hospital, and they put the the uh, oxygen mask on him and began to operate him on, on him right away. They didn't take a real good look at this person in trauma room one, and that person would have been a stand-in or look-alike for JFK, and that that is how they pulled it off. And, and then the uh, person, that, but the, also the victim in the trunk, uh, was shot in the throat and in the head front. And we also explain. we also give suspects of who actually was the shooter. We don't really maybe know. We always call this person the switchman, which is uh, the, the, the the victim, and then we also have the shooter. So um, uh, the shooter uh, to the throat and to the front, and the, the all everything that's been said at Parkland Hospital collaborates and corroborates uh, that scenario of being shot in the front and bullets going out of the back. And we'll have to let, we'll have to leave it off there, Brian. Check out my God, I'm hit. I am no apostrophe. My God, I'm hit. Com, ladies and gentlemen. Read about the part, especially learn about the part about Dr. McClellan and his garment where it was stained with JFK's blood. The significance of that is uh, exactly whose blood was that really on his garment. And we've always asked that blood should be tested versus the known DNA makeup of JFK's blood. Compare the blood on that garment to JFK's blood. Will they match? That's the key question. Thanks for listening. And maybe they will not. Probably they will not. He says they will not. Anyway. Right. We'll try and cover this another time here before the year ends and get the second half of this. It, one hour is not enough. Thanks for listening. Stay for the next, next show on RBN. And MyGodImHit.com. Check it out. If you can't find it, get a hold of me. Have a great day. Thanks, Take Mark. Care. Thanks, Mark. Homeowners, are you... Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the Internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 